you being the underdog back then, how did you still convince investors that you're the right person to bet on if there's other companies way ahead of you, more experience, more money, more funding? In the pandemic, this was about survival. And this is even more difficult because you, you know if you, sort of, if you don't work this out, then this may be the end of the company pressure from the investors that there's pressure from the other company there's pressure from the team i think it's it's a really tough situation how did you mount the courage to do that because a lot of people face that struggle they kind of have this let's say inner calling if we don't do this now and someone else does it and this market develops and and it's going to be successful we're going to regret this for the rest of our lives welcome to the digital transformer podcast your number one podcast on digital innovation, transformation, and venture building. We help entrepreneurs and corporate innovation leaders like you gain the knowledge and skills you need to build the leading digital businesses of your industry. Today, I talk to Jochen Engert, co-founder and supervisory board member of Flix. Jochen quit his promotion and stepped away from secure job and consulting to found and scale Flix into a unicorn company and one of the largest long-distance mobility networks in the world. In our recording, we, amongst other things, talk about courage, the importance of timing, and testing value propositions without huge capital expenditures, how to successfully manage m and transactions with other innovative companies, and leadership in times of uncertainty. So with no further ado, let me welcome Jochen. You said in an interview that you're not very risk-seeking. How does someone like you still go out there and found a highly successful company? I said I'm not risk-seeking. Well, I don't know what kind of <laughs> interview this was, but no, I guess uh, like an entrepreneur, uh, I guess what, what unites most of us is that we're, we're by nature, we're optimists. Um, so, so you kind of tend to see the things in a, it's going to work out somehow type of way. Um, and that leads you to take risks where other people would probably say, well, this is crazy. This doesn't make any sense. And the same was true when we, when we started Flix many years ago. Awesome. Because you basically went ahead and in a particular situation, quit your promotion and stepped away from a secure job in consulting and just to found Flix back at the time. What was so important about this timing? It's, uh, I mean, very true. Like I was... Um, sort of having a sabbatical from from my consulting job trying to do the phd as you said in the end I had to take a decision whether i would go and build flicks or finish the phd back then the decision wasn't obvious at all and everybody thought we we're crazy including our friends families back then girlfriends meanwhile wives everybody said like why would you do that and um we were just very intrigued by the opportunity that we had at hand um back then the market in Germany for a long distance bus travel was actually being deregulated. So it was written in a coalition contract already in 2009. We kind of picked up the topic again in 2011 when this whole thing came back to media attention and politicians started talking about it and it felt like there's a real opportunity to build something from scratch. And we felt you can build something that's really meaningful, that's a real product that has an impact on people's lives. And we could add value in this, in this play um, by being this orchestrating layer, building the brand, building all the marketing, the platform around it. And um, and then at some point we were like, look, we, we feel this this could work if we don't do this now and someone else does it and this market develops and, and it's going to be successful, we're going to regret this for the rest of our lives. And, and that was the point where we said, look, 
let's just jump and see what happens. Um, and fortunately, we, we did do that and did exactly that. Um, and I said, in, in hindsight, it looks very obvious back then it wasn't at all. And how did you mount the courage to do that? Because a lot of people face that struggle. They kind of have this, let's say, inner calling maybe and says, hey, I really want to do something. But there are so many, let's say, external factors and inner doubts as well. I kind of held hold them back. And later on, they end up exactly what you just described, regret, regretting their decision. So just take us a bit into your, your thought process there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, first, I guess around regretting, I guess you have a much higher chance to regret stuff that you didn't do versus stuff that you did do. Um, so that's, I think, one of the one of the big things. Then I said, I tend to be an optimist. So I was like, I mean, what should go wrong? And even if this would go wrong, the experience that you're, you're making along the way and trying to build and found a company, build a business, everything that you learn along the way is going to be so valuable in any case. Um, and, and we felt... Look, we had a decent education, had decent jobs before. If even if things go wrong, um, you're gonna have a decent job afterwards. And and like, what's the real risk, right? And 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 I think this is something that you that you have to to put in your mind in terms of what's the real risk of failing in a company. And I know this this is still a bit of a difference in in Germany versus maybe other countries where failing still feels to produce some sort of a stigma. I think this has changed um, to some extent over the past few years. But if I now look at how would we hire also people for our team? I would always value some kind of an entrepreneurial experience much higher than any corporate or other regular job type of experience. Um, and I think this is very true for all the startup ecosystem in general um, and, and many other founders that I know um, appreciate. And, and I mean, they've all gone through this themselves, like the experience and the learning curve that, you, that you're making by building or helping build a company is just so much steeper than in any other job and role and, and, and challenge that you're taking. So this in itself is a massive value. And then it's, it really comes down to what is there to lose. And if you take two, three steps back, the answer is going to be not a lot. So why not just jump and try it out? Dare it, go out there. And looking back, where, would, would you basically still decide to go into consulting or would you directly have founded a startup? That's a good question. I mean, after university, I, I didn't really have a great idea, didn't have the, I need to be an entrepreneur straight away. I was more like, hey, I need to sort of try out a few things, see a few more industries, few more roles, topics, businesses, etc. And that kind of what got me into consulting. And I wasn't disappointed. I, I did have a good time. And it was certainly valuable in terms of building more skills, um, seeing different countries, people, teams, businesses, etc. And it was value adding for me, uh, for sure. Um, could you do this without? I mean, of course, there's tons of examples where people just go straight out of university and, and found their business and are very successful. Others even, I mean, at some point, jump out of university before even graduating um, and are being successful. So I don't think this is going to be a prerequisite. For me, it was just the right way. Um, and it's fine. So I don't, again, coming back to regretting, I don't regret it at all. <laughs> so it's all good. And talking talk a bit about the idea, because you said you, you the first time you observe this potential of a completely new market opening up back in 2009 and then came back to it in 2011. How come that, like, were you so fixed on this particular idea already back then? Like, was that, let's say, what felt like the calling or how did you come about, like, say that this is your opportunity? Because a lot of people, they just like go out, they try different things out. They're not quite sure on what the right business to found this, but in your case, maybe it just seems like that, but it seems that 
it was somewhat meant to be like you had this back at the time you observed this idea over a couple of years and then you eventually when the timing was right you jumped yeah i mean we've been the three of us so daniel andre myself we've been discussing on how can we and we found a business at some point we were like we're not going to be in consulting forever we want to build something and, and build a business and and then we felt like already back then we didn't want to do something that's only digital um, like just another app or software or something, but wanted to do something that's that has a real life component. Um, and then when this opportunity came along, we felt like, hey, wow, this is it. This is an an old school industry. It's a real product. It has a real impact on people. And you still have this very strong tech and digital component to it. And this is what we're bringing to the table. So we felt like this is the perfect match. Um, and that that's, as I said, what made us jump. And it's more out of that momentum that we also felt from having more discussions with the industry, our network, other people that looked at it, spending more time researching around it. The more and more we looked into, the more excited we got. And that's that's where it felt right to just go into it. And mobility services, especially with buses, given that it has, let's say, this classical business component to it, is not something that I imagine can be easily prototyped at small scale. So one of our readers or listeners, he actually asked, how did you guys go about building the right value proposition and the product for this and testing this all out? It's, it's a very good question because it's not like you, you built a small MVP with well a, b- a bit of money and then test it out with a few friends and then test it out with 100 people and then with 1,000 and then sort of build from there. It's more like you need to build this to be scalable from day one. That's at least a theory. Um, in practice, we had to be pre- very pragmatic. I mean, we've we said we think this is going to be a, at least a nationwide opportunity. So you need to be the biggest player in in, in Germany to be sustainably um, working in, in the business itself. So we need you need to build this as a to connect all the big cities and like have bus partners everywhere in Germany and and potentially even build this across Europe and internationally. So we felt this is the big opportunity, but you start small. I mean, we started with. I mean, we talked to hundreds of companies and bus partners to, to pitch them our idea and try to get them on board. Only a few ultimately said yes, like a handful. Um, you can call them the crazy few or like the entrepreneurial guys. So some said, this may work, let's just try it out. So, so we started off with eight or 10 buses at the very beginning. So we connected a handful of cities and the selection of the cities wasn't by like, this is the biggest connections, this is where the most traffic is, but we selected by, this is where we get the first licenses from. So whatever authority was fast enough, we would just go and do it um, and, and just start from there. And this was um, this was the approach to it. And I, I can only advise everybody to be so pragmatic about it. And, and of course we had to kind of build the tech around it, the booking system, et cetera. But like what we had in the first place was far from perfect. Like we couldn't do like, proper marketing had no not a lot of transparency around the performance of our marketing channels um not a great pricing or, or yield management algorithm um even like booking capacity on on the buses wasn't perfect we had overbooked buses because the system w- was producing some um, errors and stuff so all sorts of stuff goes wrong but as i said you need to be pragmatic and just get out there start and then improve along the way are you enjoying this podcast so far then hit the subscribe button now to make sure you do not miss the next episode. Now back to the interview. Right. And, and probably also be transparent about those faults because I imagine if you communicate that openly both to your customers as well as to the bus companies you're working together with, there's much more, let's say, tolerance towards that in the beginning than if you try to, let's say, claim that you're perfect. 
No, absolutely. You said that it's at least a national game, right? And there was a time in the early days when you were overtaken by another player that emerged basically simultaneously. How did you manage to fight back and basically come out as a winner out of that challenge? Indeed. I mean, when the market started, and even before the deregulation, a few folks found niches in the regulation to build up a business beforehand. So we've had our biggest competitor back then, Mind Fairness, already had 30, 40 buses on the street before we even launched. We were like, oh, wow, they're running away from us. In the end, we felt like this market is going to be big enough um, for us to build a very sizable business. And we have this long-term vision and commitment to build this into the leading player. Um, and this, I guess, this passion and determination ultimately led us to be more aggressive um, on, on growing very fast um, and also trying to get everything in place that you needed to go that far, which is the right team, the right bus partners also, the right approach towards aggressiveness on marketing, acquiring customers, et cetera, and also the right approach to funding um, to get enough money to be able to, to really build this business in a very speedy way. Um, and then the first two years have been really a race um, between all the different players. And it was not only us and, 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 and other startups, but it was us, the startups, plus all the corporates. So we had Deutsche Bahn, we had UK transportation companies, we had ADAC and POST together who built the business. Um, so all sorts of competitors. Um, and most of them had much stronger um, organizations, more funding, more experience, et cetera. But in the end for us, it was really about long-term vision and passion and de determination to get it done. And, and this is, I think, what differentiated us in the market. And this translated into this passion in the team, the determination from the team to ultimately win. Um, and, and that asset ultimately helped us to, to make it um, and, and to, to, to build a clear market leader. And, and how did you, let's say, ensure that your team had such a passion? Like as a leader, I know it's about communicating the vision and so on, but like maybe dive a bit more in here. What do you think were the crucial aspects in the beginning that really, let's say, drove that passion and that inner flame in the organization that ultimately led to you guys overtaking everyone else? Mm. I mean, it, it, it's certainly um, what you kind of display as, as the founders of this business, um, sort of how much, how much work, effort, discipline, passion you put in yourself. This translates into, into the team. And then, of course, it's, it's who you hire. It's who you hire, it's who you promote and who you fire um, to build that culture. It's what do you accept in terms of um, if someone doesn't perform to a certain standard or doesn't bring that passion. And we were, we actually made bring passion to one of our core values very early um, and made this also an integral part in, in our job interviews around how do we hire people? Like who's the, the folks that we actually would recruit? And we're really looking for the ones that were really excited about this journey, really excited about the opportunity and absolutely wanted this job um, and, and put everything in. Um, and this then multiplies into the team. So it's really from what you build as a team in the early days, what kind of culture you're building and how you also sort of continue to push that culture. Um, and as I said, in, in, in our case, especially that passion, absolute will to win. Um, and that's something as I said, that multiplies and translates into the team. What were like some questions you asked the people in the very early beginnings of the interviews? Like how did you figure out how passionate they were? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's often you, you kind of read between the lines, but it's stuff like, what's the alternative jobs that you're looking at? And, and like, why would you want to do that? What's motivating you? What, why us and not anybody else? Why, wh what do you think you, you, you want to achieve here? So it's all this motivational part around why people are actually applying and then sitting in job interviews with us. 
and and how they've been also potentially displaying passion in the past and this can be very different areas right it can, can be of course in school university and stuff but can can also be in um, around sports or anything else that, that you do on the private side if people are not passionate about something then they're probably not a good fit for us as a company that makes sense absolutely and from the investor side because knowing a bit the investor side there is they look at how qualified the team is how qualified let's say how much experience you have in the markets and so on and so forth you being the underdog back then how did you still convince investors that you're the right person to bet on if there's other companies way ahead of you more experience more money more funding yeah yeah i mean in, our business is very much an execution play so you have to be really really strong in all the details and, and execution and be willing to sort of go the extra mile to optimize every single bit of it. Um, and I think this is something that we've apparently managed to display to investors. On the one hand, a very clear and big vision of what we're building and where we're heading. And on the other hand, the attention to detail, the passion for um, for execution and the will to, to make it work in every single last small part of the business. And that's, that's something I said, where I think we managed to convince um, investors along the way. Well. I guess, meanwhile, seems to have played out for them. And and again, this is something where, where where the teams have been differentiating themselves in our market and where we've been more successful than the rest. And in this in these early days, you described a lot about the different factors, like the hiring the right team, being very passionate about it, timing was crucial. Was there another success factor that you said, hey, this was really something that was crucial to nail in order to or to lay the foundation for the future growth? I mean, if, if we look at the first two years, then it's certainly what we talked about. If you then look at what, what's been transformational for us as a business was certainly the the merger, the acquisition of Mind Families back then. Um, so in 2014, we, we united the two companies. We've had extensive discussions with um, the founders of the Mind Families team and the business. How do you bring this together? We, we both knew that Together, we would be stronger, but then in the end, you need to overcome all the complexities of such a deal. Like an M&A situation in a private company setup is always complicated. And like getting this done, like getting an agreement on the commercial side, on the emotional side as well. This is always very emotional for um, for both teams um, and also get the funding for it. And then managing to get the two businesses and teams together. This has certainly been a pivotal moment for us um, along the story, because then we consolidated Germany, had a very strong momentum, could expand further, go across Europe, etc., and build this build this growth story based on that. But this this situation and and everything that sort of followed the actual deal certainly very critical for us in terms of the the history of the company. Um, and I mean, you can imagine how difficult this was when we told the teams like we were starting as Flixbus in blue, they were Manfembas in green, and suddenly we told them your former um, worst enemy is going to be your best friend tomorrow or today, like starting now. Um, this was difficult. Um, and, and as I said, managing through this, um, getting the teams behind, again, formulating a joint vision of this is why this makes sense. This is why we're going to be stronger together. This is what we can build out of it. Um, this was very critical for us. And it was very difficult. Um, not, not so much on the technical side of things. Like you can build milestone plans and roadmaps and, and sort of execute on them. But on the communication, emotional side, culture side, and getting the team behind the vision part, this was more difficult and challenging. Um, but in the end, um, as I said, we, we got it done. And this built the foundation to really scale this internationally and build this into um, what we're today, which is the, the global leader in our space. And how did you do that? 
like how did you convince the team that your former enemy right now is the best friend how did you also let's say during the MA transaction when first reaching out to my fan boss let's say get it get their team framed in a way that they were like open for the discussions i think relatively quickly everybody understood the the clear economic rationale in terms of it does make sense to to join forces it does make sense to consolidate the scale helps you um to optimize across the entire value chain it just matters um so the economic rationale was very clear um, but then it comes down to who gets what like what's the commercial deal and also who kind of ultimately takes which responsibility and we figured The, the teams and the businesses have actually been very complementary in terms of what they bring to the table. So they've been very strong on the on the product um, network planning side of things. Um, we've been very strong on the marketing and um, customer acquisition fundraising side of things. Um, so it was actually very, very complementary in that sense. And then we, we try to be very objective in terms of we're not preferring one team or one side over the other, but really have a very fresh and objective view on what's the best solution for the combined company. And I think this is and kept communicating this all along the way in a very open and, and clear way and manner. And as I said, jointly put this together in a long-term vision and a, a clear strategy and also made the, the joint culture very explicit. So formulated on clear values, kept communicating them. And along the way, kept communicating milestones, successes and progress on, on the integration. And over time, everybody figured like, okay, this really does make sense. It works out, it's, 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 it's working exactly the way we've been planning this. And this does make sense. Um, and it makes sense for both of us because we're going to be better off and, and the business is going to be stronger and more sustainable. And, and that's what, in a lot of work um, over time, ultimately got people behind it. How did you integrate the teams in the first place? Because that's often a crucial challenge when it comes to M&A transactions. People being super afraid they're going to lose their jobs. People not suddenly being willing to cooperate with the other team, so to speak. Like, But then forming, let's say, one cohesive team in marketing in product and so on and so forth as you go about that and and all of this happened to us i mean that insecurity that fear of what's going to happen to me etc it was all there i mean i think what, what you need to do is take very clear and fast decisions um so take your time to, to do an objective assessment of what's the best solution and if you found that then execute very fast and also communicate this very openly and clearly to the team and we had to take these like complicated decisions on Where's network planning going to be? And we decided for Berlin. Where's marketing going to be? We decided for Munich. And then re reorganize the teams according to that and try to make also potentially people move from one location to the other um, and, and like get them together into one team and then define clear responsibilities and make this, this new org structure very transparent, very explicit and very clear. This was certainly the key step. And there was, of course, difficult decisions along the way, but you need to take them and you need to take them fast and then communicate them very clearly. And that's certainly sort of the big learning that we took and everything where we took longer in terms of taking a clear decision and defining clear ownership and accountability. This was where we created issues. So in any case, where we took a decision that was that was straight straightforward and communicated clearly and, and executed clearly, this may have been painful um, to some extent, but, um, but then you get through this relatively quickly and then you can build from there. Are you enjoying this episode so far? Do you know someone who might enjoy listening to this episode as well? Simply click on share to send it. Now back to the episode. And how as a leader did you deal with all that pressure? Because I imagine like, let's say people who who are dear to you, people that you formerly had with, you might have to lay them off. You might have to, let's say, go against their will. And I think there's pressure from the investor side. There's pressure from the other company. There's pressure from the team. I think it's 
it's a really tough situation. How did you deal with that? Mm. I mean, we were in a fortunate situation that we were growing really fast. So it wasn't so much around you need to create synergies by cutting people and headcount. It's more like what's the right org structure? And and you, in most cases, we actually we decided for one location uh, and ownership into one or the other um, side, um, to Munich Berlin. And then continue to build the teams from there. So there was job opportunities that people could move if they didn't want to move, which of course is for many private reasons. Um, in, in some cases this happened, then we had to part ways. So this did happen and this wasn't easy, but in the end, everybody relatively quickly, it was clear that this is going to be a joint growth story and that made it much easier. Certainly this exercise is going to be more difficult if you're in a crisis and if you have to sort of cut costs and, and like reduce headcount um, on, a, on a global scale, this was not the case in back back then. So that was helping. And apart from that, in terms of the, the, the pressure, I think, again, it, it comes down to we've wor we've been working very closely together as a founder team for many years um, based on a lot of trust and um, and helped each helped each other through the difficult phases that everybody has and have and will have along the way. Um, and that, that's why I feel if you have a strong founder team, that's also complementary in terms of what, what the, the team brings to the table. You, you need to sort of support yourself also emotionally in, in these difficult times. And I think that's, that's what we managed. And again, managed through the pandemic, which was um, certainly which was even more challenging than what we had back then and more, more difficult also in terms of the pressure that you had, because this was about survival. Um, back then, this was mostly around how do you create value out of this, this transaction and this merger? In the pandemic, this was about survival. And this is even more difficult because you, you know if you sort of, if you don't work this out, then this may be the end of the company. So this was even more complicated. So what was that the biggest challenge that you faced in the scaling phase? Like after the M&A, basically from that day till now, what, was the pandemic really something that was a crucial moment or was there something else? No, absolutely. I mean, if if, if we look back, we certainly had a a crazy ride um, through all the years. So I, I, I don't really remember a year where we felt like, hey, this was a, an easy one or this was like, going like crazy and we were simply growing, it was all working out well. We've had many complicated moments and difficult situations, but by far the most complicated and difficult one was certainly the, the pandemic. And especially the the first phase of the pandemic hits Europe, businesses, our businesses come to complete stop. And then you have all this uncertainty around how long is this going to take? How bad is it going to be? Is the business coming back at all? And what's government restrictions going to be? Are we going to survive as a company? How much cash do we have? Where do we get the, get more cash to sort of create a buffer? How do you take all these decisions on what do you do with the business, with the team? Do we have to, how do we reduce costs, et cetera? So all of these things and, and everything with, this is about life or death for the company. This was by far the most complicated situation for sure. I mean, it's the worst crisis that this industry has ever seen. And we went right through it. <laughs> So um, for sure, this was the, the most difficult part and, and phase that we had on, on our journey. And did you have like some sort of emergency plan? Like have, have you, prior to that actually happening, have you had any, let's say, yeah, risk assessment that that could be a thing and you had like plans or would, does that take you like completely out of the blue and took you by surprise? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean in, a, in a sort of mobility and transportation business, you have emergency plans for all sorts of stuff, but that, that's mostly operational if like things go wrong and, and like bad things happen in, in, in operations, you do have these. But like for a situation like a pandemic, I mean, for a good reason, they call it a black swan event. It's not like not something that you regularly prepare for. And I guess in hindsight, 
a lot of companies and businesses should have spent more time preparing for such a black swan event. We didn't. I mean, we were used to to grow um, very fast. January, February 2020, we continued to grow 50% versus the previous year on, on a large scale. Um, and then suddenly the pandemic hit. So this is this is really difficult. And, and there's, there's nothing that you can really prepare for. It's more like we've had complicated situations along the way, difficult challenges to manage, etc. So this was something that equipped us to some extent with resilience. And, and I wouldn't even say a tool set because this was different, but um, at least a pragmatic mindset in terms of, hey, let's take two, three steps back and think about the situation. What do we need to do? Um, and then create a plan, create very strong focus of the organization on a few major projects around how do we save cost and cash? How do we kind of flexibilize the network to, to be able to scale up and down depending on whatever the demand situation is? And how do you then also build an opportunity to build us or put us in a position that we can leverage this opportunity because we knew that opportunity would arise from this crisis and history is that we ended up buying Greyhound. So how do you build this and how do you get the organization focused on the major things that they need to do and get everything aside? And this is what we what we did then early on, but did anything prepare us for it? Did we have a plan in the draw or something? No, we didn't. Like you, again, you, you need to do this when this happens. And what were the major learnings that also right now going forward helped you or this pandemic brought about? How did it sh help you, let's say, transform your business in a way that's right now even more successful? Again, uh, first you need to manage through the uncertainty. Um, and what it what this taught us is that communication and and sort of the your credibility is everything. So you need to be very open and transparent to the team to tell them, look, this is what we know. That's the decisions that we took. This is why we took these decisions, and this is what we don't know. And we're going to keep you updated once we know more and once there's more decisions to be taken. Try to be very transparent and try to take as much of that uncertainty away from your team because this is difficult for everybody. And the less you know, the more difficult it is. Um, so we try to create as much awareness, transparency as possible. Then what we've learned certainly is that in the end, it comes back down to the passion of the team. Like the reaction from the team was just incredible. Like in, in the entrepreneurial style, the energy that they brought to the table to, to to find solutions to all these problems on how do you stop an entire global network within a few days? How do you ramp it back up over summer when demand is coming back? How do you manage this process? How do you take these decisions? How do you build additional tools, um, analyze data, try to take educated decisions? This was incredible to see. Um, and, and then we, we knew that the entire industry is suffering and we got to make sure that first we survive, second, we knew we would suffer less than everybody else out there because we're going to be taking smarter decisions, be more flexible, more agile, um, and, and this will create an opportunity to win market share and also ultimately to drive consolidation in markets. So we, we try to create also, again, coming back to the long-term vision, we told the team, look, this is very difficult. This is the worst crisis that will ever happen to this industry, hopefully, and we will survive. So we've secured enough funding. We will get through this and then there will be opportunity out of it. So you need to create, again, coming back to the long-term vision, we continue to build this into a global business. There will be opportunity. We will be in the best position to to leverage this opportunity and 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 give this belief to the team that it also, and this was, this was different to where, where the startup ecosystem is today, to stay on board, to not jump ship and, and jump bus and, and like join another company, but to stay on board is worthwhile staying on board. And this was critical to us. And I said, uh, ultimately, the, the, the team was fantastic. Um, and, and they've sort of obviously managed through this and, and pulled 
pulled the bus through the crisis. Um, and this was incredible to see. Looking back at your journey, do you have any regrets? Do you have any regrets? I don't know. There's probably, there's many situations where you could have taken a different decision or, or something, but like in, in general, I, I tend not to regret all that much um, from the past. I'm not, not to overthink stuff from the past, um, but rather focus on um, what have you learned from the past and, and how can you improve going forward? Um, and how can we improve as a, as a business, as a team and, and me as a person? So no, I don't, I, I wouldn't say I regret all that much. It's more like it's been a, a fantastic journey in general. For sure, life-changing, of course, massive learning experience, and met a lot of fantastic people along the way. Um, and this is, I think, what what everybody should take out of each and everyone's individual and personal journey. And talking about learnings, what is the one thing, looking over your entire journey as a founder, what is the one thing you took out of it that you would give founders or corporate leaders, corporate innovation leaders, as a tip? who want to also build industry-defining products, services, organizations? Mm. I mean, I, I guess there's, there's, a, there's a few things around. You, you need to, to, to try out new stuff and keep that mindset all along the way. Like this entrepreneurial mindset of taking risks, trying out new things and learning along the way and improving, this to me is, is absolutely key. So if you lose this, if you're like, too risk averse if you're if you stop trying out new stuff and taking that risk and also failing once in a while and learning from that failure um you're going to lose it you're going to lose to be innovative um and ultimately you, you you lose as a company um so this is certainly the the big learning for me that you need to continue to push the boundaries and that's something that again has been i think the the, the driving theme also through our journey for sure it's very interesting because I've recently spoken to another unicorn founder and the CEO of a major um, company, and they said exactly the same. So it's just it's just cool to to hear that being repeatedly being a core topic. Last one, looking into the future, what are the most important challenges that companies in the mobility industry have to face, and how will Flixbus or Flix right now uh, tackle this? I mean, to me, there's there's two big topics. One is um, how do you build this ever more sustainably? So how do you push the entire sector, every single mean of transportation and mobility towards being sustainable? That's a very big topic. We already have a very, very, very good um, um, carbon footprint with our buses as we're obviously consolidating 40, 50, 80 um, seats on, on one bus. Um, so it's already very efficient. But like, how do you transform this into ultimately a carbon neutral or even maybe carbon positive um, business? And and second is regulation to us in our market. Regulation is, is absolutely critical. If you give us the right um, regulatory environment, a liberal access to markets, um, to infrastructure, then we can really build a very strong business and, and continue to optimize the product, our service, availability, inventory, quality, etc. Um, for customers. And you can do this at a very affordable price. If there's compl complicated regulation and, and like governments and politicians are getting in the way, then it starts getting complicated. So you, you, in our case, it's actually, it's easy to underestimate the impact of, of regulation and it's, it's absolutely critical. And we can see this, um, for example, in, in Europe, Spain is still regulated, um, it's concession-based, so it's not really accessible for us domestically. Um, there's a few markets globally that have a, a complicated regulatory regime. This is difficult then to really build a, a, a product that customers deserve. Um, but everywhere else, I think this is this is where we need to go and continue to build this. And as I said, that, that's the big journeys going forward to 
create liberal fair market access and at the same time continue to build mobility into a more sustainable way and i imagine you have your eyes open on it so that when timing strikes as in the first time you'll be able to seize the opportunity absolutely that's what what our sort of ambition is about like really build this into a global business make this available to ever more people and continue to add countries to our very own green flix map awesome thank you jochen it's been an absolute pleasure to have you and we wish you all the best for the future so that you reach, uh, reach your ambition and yeah i hope to see you soon thanks a lot great discussion um, and very much enjoyed it thanks for having me